TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Score North Twin Show. Okay, welcome to the Score North Twin Show. Uh, we're joined by a very special guest today, the fantastic MLB.com beat writer for the Cleveland Indians, Mandy Bell. Mandy, thanks so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so going into 2020, I think uh, the consensus was that the top two teams in the Central were uh, going to be Minnesota and Cleveland, and obviously they had a, a great race you know, last year that, that went deep into September. Um, I think the national perception of, of Cleveland is maybe that, they're, that they faded a little bit uh, just based on, you know, after they won three straight divisions, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they still won 93 games and were right there in the wild card until, you know, the last weekend of the year. So I still see Cleveland um, as a, a, a contender for sure to, to win the Central and, and challenge Minnesota and possibly uh, the White Sox if the White Sox end up being in that mix. But you're someone who obviously knows a lot more than me about the team and, and sort of where they're at. What are kind of your perceptions of the Indians heading into 2020? And I guess a follow-up to that would be just what have you seen through the first week or so of, of summer camp? Yeah, I mean, last year was sort of an odd year. It, it seemed like the, the team that they started with back on opening day was a completely different roster than what they finished with. You think that guys like Max Moroff, Eric Stamets, Leonis Martin, those guys were on their opening day roster. And then by the end of it, you had pickups in Fran Mel Reyes and Yasiel Puig, and it, it was just did a complete 180. And so uh, it was an odd season, but like you said, they still had 93 wins, and, and it was a weird finish. They ran out of gas that last week uh, whenever they were in the middle of the potential three-way tie for the wild card. And there was just all these different scenarios that we were trying to play out in our heads, like, okay, where could we be next week? Who, uh, what's going to happen? And so whenever you uh, go into this year, you have that team – basically that they finished with. You don't have Yasiel Puig anymore, but just the pickup in Framel Reyes and their excitement for him and his future. Uh, and then you, you saw a little bit about what their pitchers and, and Zach, please, Zach and Aaron Savali, guys that I don't want to say they weren't on their radar, but they, I mean, they weren't at big league spring training heading into last year. They had a dip into that depth that they have in their minor league system whenever all these injuries kept happening. And man, these two guys, didn't only just come up and, and fill the holes, but they really thrived. And I, I think that has a lot of excitement going into this year. So I think their rotation's in a good spot, despite trading away someone like Corey Kluber. Um, and, and I think that, that Fran Mel Reyes in the middle of the lineup and having someone in Cesar Hernandez at the top of the order, I think that adds some depth to the lineup that they didn't have last year. So I think that they're in a pretty decent spot heading into the season. Yeah, so that rotation, in my mind, is maybe the best in the American League, um, despite, like you said, trading away, you know, Trevor Bauer at the deadline last year, uh, and then and then Kluber um, in the offseason. And it's amazing that they've been able to develop as much pitching talent as, as they have. I think that's a testament to that organization. But um, you've got Bieber and Clevenger, I think, at the top. Uh, and then Carlos Carrasco is back. Uh, what can you tell us about Carrasco? Obviously, he had he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, last year and came back as a reliever in September, but is he fully healthy? Do you anticipate him being a, a big part of the rotation this year? I do. I mean, he he's not only just healthy, but he is just so excited to get back into playing this year. I mean, last year he got a taste of it as a reliever, uh, but he just cannot wait to get on the mound as a starter again after everything that he went through 
It's going to be weird that that setup isn't going to be in front of fans. I know that would have been a really special return for him. It'll happen at some point, but not right now. And uh, I mean, going into this season, he's definitely back to full strength. You know, you could see last year when he came back in September that he had lost some weight because of his treatments. And, and you could see that he just he wasn't quite himself yet. Um, but you, you can't even tell now whenever you're, you're talking to him. I mean, personality-wise, he's been the same like class clown guy in the clubhouse, even whenever he was going through everything last year and he would pop back in with the team. Uh, so the spirit's there, the excitement's there, and it seems like physically he's, he's now back to what he was before. So I, I think he's going to be the, a great number three guy for them. Yeah, and if he's back to what he was, I mean, that's a really dangerous top three with, with Bieber and Clevenger, who I think could be in the running for Cy Young. You know, and and then Carrasco in the three three spot, and um, and they have a lot of depth too. So you mentioned uh, Plutko and uh, Savali. Uh, I I would think would probably be in their rotation. Is that right? Well, right now it seems like between four and five, they have like a three way battle going between Savali, Plesak, and Plutko. And uh, right now it looks like Savali has a little bit of a lead on on the other two, so he might slide in at that four spot. Um, leaving Pletko and Plezak to fight out for the fifth. Um, and, and I think whoever doesn't get that there will then move into the bullpen just to give at least some depth at the beginning. And, and if it doesn't work out, they can always just trade those three around. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. No matter who they really go with, though, it, it seems like they're pretty solid, one through four no matter what, um, and I'm sure one through five. Yeah, so what is it, it, you know, just in your time around the organization, I mean, that organization developed starting pitching so well. I mean, you know, these, you know, Aaron Savali and Plutko and Plesak, they weren't exactly household names, like you said, but they come up and, I mean, Savali was incredible last year. I think he had an ERA in the twos, right? Um, yep. And, and obviously they've, they've had that reputation. I mean, part of the reason I think Derek Falvey got the job in Minnesota is because he had a reputation for developing, you know, Kluber and others, um, you know, through their minor league system. What do you think they do really well and really successfully to develop all of these pitchers who aren't necessarily first-round picks, you know, when they come into the system? Yeah, I think the biggest commonality between all of them that we see is poise, and it's really impressive to see the way that they handle the big stage like they've been there for years. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's something that, that goes a lot longer than maybe what people realize. Uh, and, and, I mean, you had Plezak come up first last year, and uh, he was, it was a horrible, rainy outing in, in Fenway. So Fenway alone is difficult. Then he had just this terrible weather, and he had an outstanding debut. Uh, he never ended up getting sent back down after that. He, he stayed in the rotation, and, and the Indians, I mean, Tito, before that start, kept saying, like, listen, we're not expecting him to come up here and stay. We're not putting pressure on him. We just need him just to see what he can do, need some help. And, and he just – he really, really thrived. And then Savali came up later and, and basically did the same thing. Uh, and Tito just raves about their player development staff and, and just not only how, how well they're able to just, you know, craft their pitchers and, and get everybody ready stuff-wise, but also just the way they handle themselves on and off the field and how prepared they seem to be mentally for the big league level. Uh, and I think that's something that, that really goes a long way. Yeah, it it has been very impressive to watch. Um, the bullpen, I think, is a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit shakier um, than than the starting staff. I mean, so they, Cleveland has Brad Hand, who's obviously an all star and a very good reliever. And I think after that, 
um, there may be some question marks. I mean, that, that was an area where they struggled last year. And one of their better relievers, Tyler Clifford, is now um, on the Twins. Uh, so where do you think the, the bullpen is at? Obviously, having Class A suspended hurts a lot. Uh, but do you, do you sense that that's a concern of theirs uh, going into the season? I mean, that's definitely the biggest question mark. I mean, there's plenty of question marks in the outfield, but I think the biggest one is in the bullpen. And, and uh, you definitely have Brad Hand at the back end, like usual. And then you have a few locks like Nick Wickren, Adam Simber, Oliver Perez. But then it starts from there. It gets a little bit trickier, and they're, they're trying to fill out the, those last few spots. Like you said, Classe was a, a big blow for the team this year. I, I know he's young and inexperienced, and there was a lot of room to grow, but what he had, just the stuff that he had, just the raw talent he has before he even got into the Indian system uh, and, and started you know, figuring out more stuff like his pitch mix and everything else, it, it just it, there was so much potential there. And to pair that with a guy in James Grinchak, who both of them could bring so much velocity to a bullpen that averaged the slowest fastball speed last year uh, in all of the majors. So that would have been a big pickup uh, that obviously puts a little bit more pressure now on Karinchak to be the, to guy, the guy that comes up and, and really makes a difference this year. Um, but you, you have someone like, like him, Karinchak, who will probably get a spot coming out of summer camp. And, and he's a guy that, I mean, they really, really like the velocities there. He, uh, his goal this season is to hit 100 on the radar gun in the game. I think he said when he came up in September, he tapped out at 99.2 last year, and he really wants to hit that, that 100 mark. And, and then he has a curveball that, my gosh, you ask any of his teammates. That, I mean, I remember back in Arizona before uh, camp got shut down, like everyone was talking about that in the clubhouse whenever they were facing him in live BPs, and they kept just saying how nasty that was. Um, so there's a lot of excitement there, but there's just not much command uh, of that fastball yet. And he's still trying to grow into that. And he's, uh, he's battled it a little bit. He had a, a better outing in his second inter-squad appearance, but there's, just, there's still some room to grow there. So the, that just adds to the, the question marks of the, the depth of that bullpen. So I, I do think that there's a, a lot of uncertainty there, if anywhere in their roster. Um, but the way Tito manages a bullpen, we saw it last year. It wasn't like they had the, the biggest name guys. Um, in their relief core last year, and, and they had the best ERA from the start of the season through the end of August. So uh, I, I think having Tito there to at least manage it, no matter how scrappy they are, I think that is an, at least an advantage uh, for them. Yeah, and Francona, he's an amazing manager and amazing at managing a bullpen. I've, I've been, I love watching games managed by him, just his willingness to, um, to you know, put three or four pitchers out there in one inning. Uh, you know, for, and play the matchups. It, you know, he really, I feel like, takes advantage of of matchups and understands, um, you know, which which pitchers are are best lined up against, you know, the opposing hitters in in a way that um, maybe not all managers have have fully uh, grasped. I guess I don't know. He he just to me is sort of the master of of managing a bullpen. I think the the three pitcher. He must be so depressed about the the three uh, hitter minimum now, right? He can't bring Oliver Perez in just to face that one lefty. This is his least favorite role of all time, <laughs> and he does not hide his uh, displeasure with it because he is. I mean, this is like you said, goes against everything that he stands for. Um, he says it doesn't matter what I think. Obviously, it's happening no matter what. I'm going to learn to adapt, but I don't have to like it in the process. So. Uh, 
So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that changes his strategy this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to get back to, to Emmanuel Classe just for a minute uh, because he was kind of the big name in the Corey Kluber trade to Texas. Uh, so uh, it, what was it, December or January maybe when that trade happened? Yeah, uh, back in December was whenever it happened. Yeah, yeah. So so the Indians sent uh, Kluber to Texas for Emmanuel Classe, who was, um, we just talked about him, but, you know, throws 100 and uh, is really one of the, the better prospects, I think, in Cleveland's system. And then Delano DeShields Jr. Um, and a lot of people saw that as kind of a light return for, for Corey Kluber, given how, you know, Kluber is one of the best pitchers in the American League. Obviously, he got injured last year, but um, I was a little bit surprised when I saw the return for that. What, what's been kind of the narrative in Cleveland about that trade and, and what Cleveland got back for Kluber? Yeah, I mean, whenever whenever the trade happened, uh, fans Im- immediately seemed underwhelmed with the return. Like you said, I mean, that, that's everything that we heard on Twitter, uh, and and I know there was a, so much excitement there for Classe, and he was the the you know the the centerpiece of that deal and why they really wanted to make it happen. So it made that even even harder to get the news that they got during the whenever baseball was suspended here, waiting for it to start back up. That he tested positive for PEDs and. Uh, I mean, it didn't didn't make any of this easier, but there's been so many trades in the Indians past that they've made where it doesn't look like it was a a good move. It looked like they gave up a lot for a little. Um, And that that happened with how they got Corey Kluber. It happened with how they got Mike Clevenger. Um, They do a lot of things, different types of moves where they're trading all-star type of guys, big name guys for a singular minor leaguer where it's like, what are they doing? What are they thinking? Um, so they've proven themselves to be pretty, re- actually really good at, at finding the diamond in the rough in that way. Um, but it's tough to start that way with Classe and, and have to miss the first year of him because of something like this. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not still excited for his future um, they still are, and, and they're they're trying to keep in contact with him over this season as he's suspended for the entire year um, to make sure that he doesn't lose any of his development on his own and figuring out what he can do uh, for wherever he is during this time period. But uh, yeah, overwhelmingly on on Twitter though, fans were a little bit uh, disappointed in that type of a trade, and then even more so whenever they got the news about Classe. Yeah, for sure, and obviously we can only put so much weight into into Twitter, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a, an interesting trade, um, you know, just given what, what Kluber had done, but another, uh, you know, really talented starting pitcher that the Indians traded away was, uh, Trevor Bauer. And, um, you know, they traded him to obviously the Reds at at the trade deadline. Uh, Terry Francona came out after that trade and, and he didn't say anything explicit but it seemed like reading between the lines of his comments that maybe he and Trevor Bauer had a little bit of a contentious relationship and that may not be accurate Uh, but did you get any sense that there was friction uh, between Francona and and Bauer or Bauer and the team uh, prior to uh, trading him because he's obviously a very outspoken guy he's a really interesting follow on Twitter but um, I don't know what was sort of your read there uh, after they traded him yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily friction as I would describe it, but I mean, they definitely butted heads. And I, I mean, when you have such a strong personality like Trevor Bauer, 
Uh, and he's not afraid to voice his opinion whenever he thinks that you might be wrong or that he might be right. Uh, you can definitely butt heads from time to time, no matter who it is, if it's your manager, um, if it's your pitching coach, or if it's your teammates. So uh, I definitely think his his relationships there were a lot of roller coasters. I, I think that there was uh, definitely some lows where, where he would where he would disagree with some people and they may not see the same way and that could cause maybe some friction at times and then, then there's other times where uh, everything seemed okay it was poor timing because the last start that he made with the Indians is that whenever he chucked the ball over the center field fence in right. uh, Kansas City so that was poor timing and I probably didn't have the best taste in and the organization's mouth at that time, whenever they did move him, I think he would have been traded no matter what, if that would have happened or not. Um, if you saw the type of package they got in return for him, that was that was definitely a no-brainer to make that type of a move. But uh, in that moment, it's probably not the easiest to talk about somebody uh, whenever you're trading them, and that was the last thing that they did. So uh, it was a lot of – I would say it was up and down with uh, with probably his relationship with a lot of people there just because he is – he's so strong-minded and, and wants to stand by his opinions and he's not afraid to admit that. Yeah. And whether you agree with Bauer or not, I think he's a good guy to have in the game just because he creates controversy and he's outspoken. And I think baseball needs more of that. You know, even if you do, like I said, disagree with him, it's, it's good to, you know, to have guys like that who have those big personalities to, um, to get people interested. But um, one of the big names that they got back in that, in that trade was Fran Mel Reyes, who is a big time prospect, has tons of power, um, obviously struggled a little bit when he came over to Cleveland uh, the second half of last season. But do you expect big things uh, from him? Because he seems like a guy to me that's, that has the potential to be an all-star, you know, over the next few years. Yeah. I mean, if you would have talked to me at the end of the original spring training back in March, right before everything shut down, like I think Fran Mel Reyes would have just gone on a rip and a tear and he would have been an all-star this season. His swing was so on during those few weeks of camp that we had. And every time he stepped out for batting practice, I mean, it felt like you were sitting there just watching just your own personal home run derby just right in front of you. And it wasn't just BP. It was translating into all the exhibition games. And of course, like spring training is one thing, the regular season's another, obviously, but um, he just looked so much more comfortable at the plate. He had made uh, some adjustments over the offseason. He he trimmed uh, he trimmed down. I think he lost like 18 pounds to to be an option in the outfield if that's how they wanted to use him. Uh, be a little bit more versatile. And then and then he was worried that that would lose some of his power, but it just absolutely did not. He said he'd never felt more powerful at the plate, and it really really translated. Well, then whenever the shutdown happened. He went home uh, to the Dominican for three and a half months. He didn't see a live pitcher during that time period. So the first time he saw live pitching again was when he got back to progressive field at the beginning of the month. And you could tell his timing was off. And that's, that's tough because he was, he was really on. And I think that he could have come out of the gate firing for them. And uh, I, I mean, he's starting to figure it out now. Uh, he had a little bit of a, a weird, awkward, uncomfortable slide into second the other day. Um, and that, that kept him out of their inner squad lineup last night because his back's a little bit sore after that. So they're monitoring that. It doesn't seem like it would be anything serious, but uh, especially with the guy who's just trying to figure out his timing right now, you don't want any type of, of hiccups like that, that uh, during the few weeks of summer camp that he has to see live pitching. But I, I definitely think that 
the ceiling's really high for him. I think he could be a super powerful uh, hitter and, and go on to be a 30-plus home run guy for them for multiple seasons. So I think that the, the whole organization's excited about having him in their system for a while. Yeah, he reminds me a little bit of Miguel Sano in the sense that, <laughs> you know, similar build, has huge power and, and maybe some defensive uh, questions, you know. Absolutely. Um, Reyes is obviously an outfielder, Sano's an infielder, but uh, the same type of, I think, player profile offensively. Um, but I want to talk real quick about Jose Ramirez because he had, a, in my opinion, a, a really weird year last year. So in 2017 and 18, I think he finished third, right, in the MVP voting. Um, and he was really a superstar. Uh, and, and last year just fell off a cliff. And it was strange because he was in like his age 26 or 27 season right in the middle of his prime um, and just couldn't figure it out at the plate. Uh, and then he had a, he rebounded, he had a better second half, but he's really a wild card to me. I think if he's going well, that lineup uh, becomes, you know, much, much stronger and deeper. Um, was he hurt at the start of last year? Was his timing just off? What was kind of going on with Ramirez last year? He wasn't hurt. He had, I don't know. It was just, it seemed like a, a lot of mental games that he had to overcome. He had a, a, a rough ending to 2018 he he limped to the finish line basically offensively he had a strong year but that last uh the last bit of the regular season into the postseason was rough for him and I that just sort of carried over into the start of last season and and he just couldn't snap out of it And every time we asked Terry Francona about it like what are you seeing And, and he just kept saying everything that's well hit is going foul so the timing is just a little bit off He's like, as soon as they start going fair, though, we know we're going to be in a great spot. And he just kept saying over and over again, just wait. We're going to be patient. Everyone's going to be patient. And whenever he comes back, he's going to be the all-star level of Hosey that we know he's going to be. And he really was. June 14th is whenever it really switched on for him. He had a multi-hit night that night. And then from then on out, he had an uh, OPS over 1,000 for the rest of the year. He just came on, and he was on fire despite even having a broken hamate and, and missing a month during that process. So um, he came back from that and he was, he even picked up where he left off where I think that was a, a good sign for the Indians to know that he didn't take another step back coming back from something like that. So um, I think everybody's optimistic. The numbers say that he's set up for, to, to have a better year this year, everything projecting him to, to put that and all that, that slump in the rearview mirror officially, but, uh, it was a, it was an odd year, and I know it's going to be something that's in a lot of Indians fans' minds because if you look at the numbers, whenever he's knocking in runs, there's a lot more uh, Indians wins. I think that it, it was it was a ridiculous stat. I don't remember it off of my head, but if he has an RBI in the game, they almost won like 95% of the time last year. So he's a big difference maker. Yeah, he definitely is. And I want to ask you. I do want to ask you about the Twins, but I want to ask you about one more player, and that's obviously the face of the franchise, uh, Lindor, Francisco Lindor. So I think there's a kind of a constant cloud hanging over Lindor about whether Cleveland's going to trade him because, you know, there was, I forget if it was their owner or their GM basically came out and said, enjoy Francisco Lindor for the next couple of years, because we're probably not going to be able to re-sign him. Obviously Cleveland's a smaller market and he's going to get a huge contract when he does hit free agency. So do you get the sense that that's a distraction for the team that he could you know, be traded if they fall out of contention? Or is that something that that you feel like doesn't really um, show up in the clubhouse on a day-to-day basis? I I think it's something that doesn't really show up in the clubhouse on a day-to-day basis. And that's just a tribute to Francisco Lindor and how he's able to completely separate the two and 
that that's not easy to do is separating that type of uh i don't know that that contract situation because it's it's so public it's so public because everyone wants in cleveland wants lindor to stay forever because how couldn't you not only is he one of the best players in the game but the personality i mean he's just the perfect face of any franchise and so uh, fans don't want to see him go. And uh, so this this whole situation is so public, but he's been able to have those conversations with the Indians, try to figure out if it's something that can be worked out, but then also turn it off and go straight into game mode whenever it comes in the clubhouse. So no, it's not something that I think that is a distraction for anybody, um, but it's, it's obviously there. And it's not something that's going to go away until they have to just face the contract situation up front and, and just make a final decision by the end of, of next year at the absolute latest. Yeah. It's sort of similar to the Red Sox with Mookie Betts. I mean, the Red Sox are obviously a, a, a big market team, but it was the same kind of uh, situation where you have this superstar player whose contract is coming up soon. And it's like, do you trade him and get prospects back or do you hang on to him for the duration of the contract? And um, you know, Cleveland might be a little more incentivized to trade him because, you know, they don't have the money to, to maybe re-sign him in the way Boston would and, and they want to build up their farm system. But it's just so tough to trade a guy like that who is a superstar and, like you said, has, has a great personality. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fascinating to see how that plays out. But I want to ask you about the Twins. Um, so, obviously, they snuck up on, on the Indians and, and a lot of teams last year. I don't think anybody expected them to win 101 games and be as good as they were. Uh, what's the sense coming out of the organization about the Twins and maybe the, sort of this budding rivalry? Do, do you get the impression that they view the Twins as sort of the favorite or the team to catch, or do you think that they're still confident that, that you know, over the 60-game sprint they'll be the best team? Yeah, it's weird because now the 60-game sprint, I think, has changed everybody's mindsets about the 2020 season. When we were talking – to the players back in, in Arizona, whenever it seemed like we were going to have a 162 game season, uh, the Indians took the, the, you just like the mindset of we're the underdog now. And that's sort of how they viewed it. And um, they kept referring to 2016 about how they were viewed as the underdog that season going into that year. Nobody really expected them to have the year that they were going to have in 2016 and so everyone just kept sort of saying the same thing. We like whenever people doubt us. We like when people aren't expecting us. We like whenever we're not maybe, I guess, having all the expectations of, of what they've, you know, built for themselves over the last few years because they were at the, at the top of the AL Central for so many seasons in a row now. Um, and so I think they, they took it as we're okay with this and we know that this is how we're being viewed right now and we, we sort of just want to prove people wrong. Uh, I don't know if that's the same type of mindset. I think it's still there because you you sort of have the same type of mindset as you would for any other season based on what's happened in uh, last year. But I think everyone sort of feels like they're in it no matter what team you are. I mean, you could be talking about the Orioles and the Tigers. I think that's yeah. going to be the fun part of the season is that you just don't know because if someone starts the year hot, goes 11-1, and one, I mean, they're really going to start – like they're going to start – you can't really separate from the pack in 60 games, but you're going to have like a, a huge lead and that's going to be fun because there's going to be teams that you would have thought had no business being in the running uh, and they're going to be thrown in there. So I, I think it changes it a little bit, but I think that they're, they've completely owned the underdog type of a, a label going into the season and I think they enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. And I agree. I think, I mean, what was it? The Mariners started out like 13 and two or something last year yeah. and then almost lost a hundred games. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you're going to have some random teams pop up who would not be in contention in 162, 
um, who are going to make a run. And uh, it's impossible to predict who it's going to be. There's just so much variance involved in a 60-game sprint. But um, I would anticipate Cleveland and Minnesota and and possibly the White Sox to probably be battling it out right into the last week of the season. Uh, But who knows? You know, the Royals or the the Tigers could pop up. You just don't know. Um, So – do you think in the in the clubhouse last year did they view the twins? I mean, were they surprised by by how good they were and and sort of how that season played out? Obviously, the, the actual games between the two teams were really close. Um, there were a lot of great games, but uh, did they see themselves as obviously? I'm I'm sure they saw themselves as the favorite because they had won three straight. But were they a little bit taken aback? Do you think by by how good the twins were last year? I think heading into the year, they knew the Twins would be more competitive, but I don't think that they thought that they would be as good as what they were, which was a lot of, you know, everybody in baseball sort oh, yeah. of thought the same thing. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was sort of shocking, I think. And, uh, and whenever it was, what, June 4th, and they were 11 and a half games out of, out of first place, I mean, that was, that was tough. And, and I, I think that that was a, a little bit of a wake up call. And that's sort of, it's weird how it played out, but it was also the same day that Carrasco told them that he was diagnosed with leukemia. And then that's whenever they, they turned it around. And I, I don't know if it's a coincidence. I sort of talked to the guys last year and a lot of them says, yeah, it's something that we can rally behind, but it's also just a weird coincidence that it happened. And then that's whenever they, they somehow erased the deficit come yeah. August. And uh, when I think it was Jason Kipnis that we talked to, and he was like, these games against the Twins, this feels like playoff baseball. And, like, we're circling every date that we're going to be playing the Twins this year. We are ready for it. We're excited for it. And it, it just was like a heated rivalry, it felt like, at that point. And I think that made it, it made it really, really fun, but it also showed maybe a little bit of how they underestimated them heading into the season and, uh, and, and just how much they really wanted to win whenever I, I came – to any matchup against Minnesota throughout that point. So I, I definitely think that they did uh, underestimate them at least a little bit. Yeah. And that, and it was amazing how they, I mean, they, like you said, they were 11 and a half back on June 4th and by early August, they had at one point a, a lead, right? I think they were up a half game for like a day. They did. <laughs> yeah. So they erased the entire deficit. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was really interesting how that played out and, Obviously, the Twins pulled away at the end, but it was really close for most of August and September, and um, those games did feel like like playoff games, and I think every game between these two teams this year will feel like a playoff game because we're, you know, you're basically starting the season in August, and um, so yeah, it should be a, a lot of fun uh, with that rivalry, and I think that could be a ri- rivalry for the next few years in the, in the Central. Um, all right, I want to ask you about one more thing, and I, I know you've You've probably been asked about this a million times, but uh, the the whole uh, sort of name change controversy that's going on right now. So obviously Washington changed their uh, team name, and and in my opinion, that's a, a was a very good thing. I mean, that was a, a pretty racist, clearly racist uh, name that they had, and um, you know they faced pressure from sponsors to to change their name, and uh, we're seeing some of that with with Cleveland as well with the the Indians name. And Francona came out, and I thought he he had great comments. He basically said, you know. We didn't mean to offend anybody, but I don't think that's enough right now. You know, with everything that's going on, we need to be more proactive and in, in really having these conversations. So um, what's sort of your take on this? Like, do you get the sense that the Indians are going to change their name soon? Is it being discussed, you know, among ownership? Just kind of what's the status of that right now? Uh, yeah, it's definitely being discussed. And I think that they're going to have ongoing conversations about it. 
uh, it's tough timing because you look at Washington and, and they still have a few months before uh, the season gets underway. They obviously have, you know, the starts of, of different type of workouts and things like that. But to have this type of a conversation whenever it's two weeks before a season starts, it's right. so difficult because you're trying to focus on winning uh, a championship and erasing the longest drought in, in major league history and like in the majors right now. Uh, but you're also having this, this huge conversation that you don't want to look like you're putting it on hold because it's something that, uh, we see across America right now and the movements that are taking place, the protests that are happening. Um, and you don't want to look like you're tone deaf and you want to make sure that you're showing that. And I think that's what their statement was for was to say, look, we're not ignoring everything. We understand the position that we're in and we want to do the best thing that, that would best represent our community and best allow everybody to view us in, in the correct manner. Um, but it's tough timing. So I don't know when it would, it would happen, but I definitely think it's a when and not an if anymore because I don't think they're going to put that type of a statement out there and then come back and say, we've talked to people and we think it's best to keep our name. I just don't think that that's going to be the way that it happens. When, though, is just going to be I, I – I think that one's a little bit tougher just because of the timing of everything. Yeah, for sure. It seems like maybe next off season would be, mm-hmm. uh, again, like you said, not that you want to put that off because it is such an important conversation, but um, it would be difficult to change that, you know, a week before the season started. But um, it's great that, that they're being proactive about that and that these conversations are happening. And, um, and I thought Francona handled it really well in, in what he said. So, um, all right. So before I let you go, this has been really great. Um, where can people follow you? Cause they're, Obviously, Cleveland is going to be right there with Minnesota. Twins fans will want to, you know, get all of the, the latest information on, on Cleveland. Where can people follow you on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera? Yeah, Twitter, I'm MandyBell02. And Instagram, I'm Mandy Bell, or Mandy Bell MLB. So uh, I have two, two social media platforms for that. But mostly Twitter would be where all the news can be. My, I, I like to use my Instagram just because I, I enjoy photography and I like to take little artsy sunset photos. So that one probably wouldn't be as, <laughs> as informative as Twitter would be. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Follow Mandy on Twitter for baseball info and Instagram for, for artsy sunset. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and stay safe and have a great season. Hopefully we can talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me and you stay safe as well. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.